Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey. So today, let's talk about toddlers and nuances of emotions, which will fold very nicely into positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. So when I work privately consulting with families on either potty training or parenting, I work on a walkie-talkie app called Voxer. And the reason I do that is I discovered years ago that parents need to hear me say certain things. There's a certain tone that I want in certain situations. And across the board, and this gets worse every year, parents are more and more confused by what is a good tone to have in certain situations? There's huge confusion in what firm is without being mean or yelling or dysregulated. And it's great because I can say, you know, how did you respond to that? What did you say? And I'll hear parents. And across the board, what's happening is parents are being very, very neutral. And I think it comes from a great place. It comes from a place of, you know, I don't want to be like oozing praise, but I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be mean. So I'm just going to be level. I think it's like our way of staying regulated is everything's good. Everything's fine. Yup. Okay. The problem is toddlers don't think like that. Toddlers are very black and white and they have zero nuance in their emotions. Yeah. So like early on, we're talking about the big ones. We're talking about happy and mad. Usually you may see nuances. You may see joyful, which is slightly different than happy. You may see blissed out. If they try ice cream for the first time, you may see frustrated, rumpy, melancholy. You may see all of these in your toddler, but they're not there for recognizing it. And they're not going to recognize it in you and out in the world. So the level neutral tone doesn't work. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's kind of like blah, 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 blah. So we have to think in terms I always say toddlers are like emojis, right? And my favorite emoji, the one I use the most is like the sideways laughing guy who's like crying tears, right? It's like totally laughing his butt off. There's that. And then we have the like the anger, the beep, beep, red one. Sometimes it's got like the curse word in front of the mouth. So that's pretty much all you got <laughs> right now. And so we want to reflect that back to our toddlers because that tone is the positive and negative reinforcement. So I don't mean that you have to be sickeningly sweet or totally fake effusive in praise. You know, I don't want like, oh my God, you did such a good job. I really discourage that, especially in potty training, because you can like scare the hell out of your kid. (laughs) You don't want to be over the top, but you also, you really have to delineate in yourself and think of how you would convey this to a person who's just learning about their emotions. That is good behavior. I like that. Or that is not good behavior. I don't like that. And in a perfect world, we could say it in those tones, but typically our kids, remember, they're coming off of infancy and they're way more locked into our nonverbal communication and our tone than they are in our words. So remember that, like words are less important. It's the nonverbal communication and that includes the tone you're using. And so it may be that you're not even praising them, but like you're reflecting back to them. It may be like, wow, You must be so proud of yourself. That's the biggest poop I have ever seen in my life. There is no doubt in your mind that I am super pleased. I am reflecting back to you. I'm not putting praise on the child. So that's positive reinforcement. And then the negative has to be the same. So across the board, I I hear just that confusion again. I think I've said across the board four times already. Sorry about that. It is just so across the board. (laughs) 
But the confusion on negative reinforcement or negative tone is you can absolutely 100% be very, very firm about what you can and can't do. But do you hear my voice? I'm speaking in a particular way. I'm being very firm, clearly displeased, but I'm not dysregulated. I'm not yelling. I'm not out of control. I'm not saying catastrophic things. That's where it gets damaging when we slip into those things. Now, remember, positive reinforcement is such a bastardized term right now. It doesn't mean rewards. I can't get this through to people. So back in my day, there was no positive reinforcement. It was all negative reinforcement. You know, for example, I got all A's on my report card except for a B in math, probably more like a C. I don't remember, but knowing how I am with math, it was probably a C. I didn't get praised for the A's. I got berated for the C. And so we started to realize that if you just come down on a kid and just come down on all their negatives, it it affects them. So we want to highlight the positive. That's where positive reinforcement came from. So you do want to say, hey, listen, wow, super great that you got all these A's. I'm, I'm proud of you. You should be proud of yourself. You worked really hard. But we got to talk about this C, like what's going on? You know, so there would be some investigation. It wouldn't necessarily be like you're going to get punished. It wouldn't be one of those things, but you would investigate it and you wouldn't let it slide by. What I see happening today is that parents don't want to do any negative work whatsoever. So all they do is praise, 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 praise. At some point, the praise quota runs out and it's empty cheerleading if all you're doing is praising. The other thing that I think gets very confused, listen, it's like a scale. You got negative and positive on one side. You know, if it's constantly positive reinforcement, the scale gets off balance. And the biggest thing here is that you can praise behavior 100% of the time. Okay, let's take an example of like a toddler, not a report card. So your toddler helps you set the table and then goes and whacks their sibling, okay? So what I see in my work is everybody's like, wow, you're so helpful. Thank you so much. I'm so happy you helped me set the table. That was great. No, 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 don't hit your brother. Do you see how that's off kilter? So it's too level with don't hit your brother. And it's too much on the praise. It's too much on the positive. And the positive might get you more positive, right? So in that instance, great. You know, however you're praising your child, it might get you more helping with the table. It might make your child be a little more helpful, but it does nothing to address hitting the brother. So the hitting the brother has got to be addressed. And when your child is kind to their little brother, you might say, wow, I love it when you're so kind. That also is very awesome. And again, just very low key, not effusive, not too many words, right? In the praising, but that praising isn't going to necessarily fix the negative behavior. So negative behavior needs a negative reaction and your child needs that in their black and white thinking. And it's not always going to be this way. They're going to get more nuances and you're going to have bigger discussions. But for now, you have to think in like, how can I communicate? Am I communicating? the good and the bad in the situation. And we're going way too heavy on the good to the point of empty cheerleading, to the point of like praising nonsense. Like, guys, stop praising nonsense. You know, when they ask you to like, I think I've used this example before, like, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. And then they do something totally stupid, like blink. And you're like, oh, that was nice. I mean, I think in those situations, it's really fair to be like, You did nothing. You blinked your eyes. Show me something real. (laughs) But we want to go with them developmentally. Again, thinking of what stage did your two-year-old just come out of? 
fucking being one, <laughs> right? And so again, that emphasis on nonverbal communication, your body language, but tone, tone has so much to do with it. So yeah, now this also edges into, I get a lot of questions about play fighting. I've definitely addressed it on Instagram. I don't know if I've addressed it here. I start getting uh, content confused, but this is where play fighting comes in. And if you notice at a certain age, play fighting takes on a distinct quality, which is good versus evil. Back in times of yore, there was always a knight versus a dragon. That's how the kids would play, right? Cops and robbers, you know, before we knew better, it was cowboys and Indians, right? There was always a good guy and a bad guy. And it was crystal clear. And there's a reason for that because of kids' black and white thinking under the age of six. It has, and maybe even edging into seven or eight, it also is tightly tied with a sense of justice. When you watch kids play, you know, even if it's none of these, like, Cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians don't exactly seem politically correct. So I imagine that's not what's being played on the playground these days. But, you know, there's always a monster or Harry Potter and Star Wars. They're the exact same story. It's a hero's journey and it's good versus evil because it's black and white. There's an archetype there of meaning and purpose and the kids love that. And so that edges into that play fighting of like, someone's got to be good and someone's got to be bad. So parents will ask me about that because they can seem, if you listen to my bullying episode, we're misusing the word bully and parents get very upset because one kid is going to quote unquote jail or one kid has to go back in the cave and they don't like this play. It looks unkind to them, but this is necessary play so that your kids can get out their number one, their sense of justice, but also it helps them make sense of a very confusing world, especially a world that has global pandemics, you know, all kinds of issues are going on right now, school shootings and war in Ukraine and all these things that your child might be catching wisps of, even if you think they're not, even if those things aren't reaching your child's soul. The world is confusing and the world is crazy to a little guy who just is just learning how to run <laughs> and climb things. And so it helps them make sense of the world, knowing that they can slay evil. And so that also comes in, I think, that black and white thinking, right? And how developmentally appropriate it is. And I think sometimes we get so obsessed with teaching emotional wisdom that we jump the gun on the nuances of kids' emotions at this age. All right, moving on. Some ramblings today. I want to talk a little bit more about comparison, particularly in motherhood. Sorry, dads, if you're listening. I don't find this so much in dad culture. And please, if you're a dad who's listening and you find that it is, let me know. I'm not a dad. So I'm out of the loop of dad culture, but for mom culture, for sure, comparison is, you know, compare and despair. It's a bad thing. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast and I told you guys about a reel I did on Instagram about like houses being real and how part of my commitment to myself, to my audience and to the universe in general, trying to be more authentic is, you know, maybe doing some reels without makeup or in my sweats or whatever it looks like. And it really resonated. A lot of you commented or DM'd me about it. And so it really struck a chord, I think, with a lot of you. And so I just kind of want to open the conversation and like other ways that we can be as real and authentic as possible, because I do think this is an area that social media has completely fucked with us. It just keeps us so solitary. It keeps us from building our own villages. You know, it keeps us from ourselves. You know, if we're constantly having to compare, if we constantly think we have to be 
a facade to please the world, it wears on us. And we all know, we all have that friend. I would hope all of us have a friend that, you know, that we can fart in front of, that we can just show up and, you know, they don't care if we brushed our teeth or if we shaved our head or if we haven't showered in a few days or weeks, right? We have these friends that don't care about the shape of our house, but I would hope that we could all start to be a little more authentic just in general. And this really ties in also to the episode I did on overscheduling and creating our villages. I think it's a real barrier. I think that's a real barrier to finding our people and finding our circles that we can be super real and authentic. And, you know, I was kind of just sitting thinking about a couple of things, you know, definitely messy houses and not caring. I would way rather have people over my house and it be messy than not have people over my house. Yeah. I think there's a vulnerability. There's so much vulnerability in saying hard things or speaking your truth or being real, like being real. If you're having a hard time being real about the hard days, but without complaining, but without shitting on your kids. Right. And without gossiping, Brene Brown has a, one of her things, it's an acronym. I think the acronym is for truth. I have to go back and look. I forget. I had posted it here a long time ago. But one of the things she talks about is gossiping is like a way to hotwire a friendship. So there's no faster way to get somebody engaged than to talk shit about another person. But that's not nice. So being authentic doesn't mean like whatever is coming into your head should come out of your mouth. That's not authentic. And dumping on somebody emotionally You may be having a hard time, but dumping on somebody without like checking in first or connecting with them, or maybe even asking them if they can lend an ear, that's not cool either. I just think, again, this is like a social media thing. I either see this like crazy bitching about kids and like just what a mess our lives are, but it's not sincere. It's more like a vent, you know? And so if we could be more vulnerable when we are having a hard time, Mental health has been on the edge of the last month of episodes, right? If we could be more honest about mental health, if we could be more honest about like when we're struggling, when we're not struggling, and then we would find that vulnerability. And that's how you stop comparing and despairing. We only compare when we don't feel good enough. And we don't feel good enough because usually we're trying to live up to some ideal. And that ideal is being exacerbated on social media. So Anyway, I thought it'd be worth opening it as a conversation because it did strike such a chord with so many people that I was like, hmm, let's dig into this one a little bit. Speaking of shitting on our kids, could we not? Mind your tongue. Mind your tongue in your own home about your child. Mind your tongue when you're on the phone. Mind your space and make sure your child's not in the space. Don't talk about your child in front of your child. But really, don't talk about your child in general. Stop shitting on our kids because here's the thing. And again, this may seem contrary to the authenticity aspect, but it's not because you can be very authentic and still maintain a really good mindset about parenting and your child. And maybe that seems at odds if you're not accustomed to this. Like authentic, again, doesn't mean spilling your whole truth. Kids are frustrating. They're frustrating. Yeah, they can be assholes. Yes. And you know, we distinguish, are they being little shits? Are they having a hard time? Are they being manipulative? Like we all do use that language. And I think that language is fine, but I don't think it's okay to just constantly be shitting on your kid. You'd be shocked when they're not in your presence, like how much they can hear. But what happens is if we're constantly complaining about our kids, don't get me wrong, ask for help. 
you know, if you need to vent to a friend, if you need to cry, these are all very appropriate. I'm talking about the sort of endless bitching that doesn't have a resolution. It's almost like you're not looking for a resolution. And I see it everywhere and I hate it. And I particularly hate it with our teens. It literally just told Pascal, I came across a thread and it was just a thread about teens. And when they were saying how they categorized the teens moods as hurricanes, like, you know, like a category five, it was like a slide, a carousel of meme pictures. And it was really disheartening to me. And I was like, I know teenagers can be just as hard as three-year-olds for sure. But number one, I felt so grateful. I was like, God, there's so much nature in the nurture, but like there's so little guarantee of the finish line with kids and he's not grown. But I was like, fuck, I did something right here because we have such a good relationship and I don't experience that. There are glitches, but I don't experience these like crazy mood swings. I do experience like, you know, occasional disrespect, misplaced sarcasm. But anyway, it just made me so sad when people just constantly bitch. And what I have noticed, I have gone through phases where I just bitch and it's hard. And But you get on a track. The thing about complaining and bitching like that is you get on a track that you kind of can't get off of. And it affects your mind and it affects your parenting because if all you're thinking and talking about is what a little shit your kid is all day and, and that you're struggling, you have to find the positives too, you know? And again, healthy venting, working with a parent coach, maybe getting a therapist, maybe your trauma's getting triggered, whatever that is to get yourself help, 100% go for it. But I just have noticed it really can affect you and it, it can affect all that nonverbal communication. You almost go into every interaction with your kid, be it three or 13, like on the defensive. And if you think your kid can't feel that and is automatically gonna be more defensive, you're crazy because that is exactly what happened. <laughs> All right. Last little musing up in line here is I have talked a lot about cajoling, coaxing, begging, how we don't want to do that with our kids. And I do find that once again, it's like a misunderstood thing. A lot of clients have a hard time and they don't really know the difference. They'll ask me like, Hey, how, how do I know if I'm coaxing or begging? Or, you know, don't you have to repeat things several times? Yeah. Here's an awesome thing too. This last week, it was great. You know, I'm always working with several families at once. And in this one day, three families with the walkie talkie app sort of did a butt dial. And I got to hear like a full interaction with their kids, which thankfully, you know, it wasn't a more embarrassing situation. And in all three instances, the kid was having a very, very hard time. And I could hear how the mom was responding. And it was so awesome. I'm going to actually ask parents now and in the middle of a difficult situation, if they could just press record, because it's so helpful to me to hear how it goes down in real time. And it's just so great. So a couple of things that I had picked out is that, yes, we have to repeat things several times. So like, let's take an example of putting on shoes in the morning, which is just such a hot spot. I use that as an example all the time. So if it's like, hey, bud, you need to put on your shoes. We got to go to school. Hey, bud. But I asked you to put on your shoes. Can you put on your shoes, please? Okay, now you need to put on your shoes. Buddy, I said, put on your shoes, please. Okay, almost there. No, no, come back, please. That's begging. That's taking on a quality of begging. Then there's like the questioning of the begging. You know, would you do mommy a favor? It would make mommy so happy if you would put on your shoes and then we won't be late. That would be good, okay? Oh my God, you can hear. That's coaxing, right? That's begging. That's like, there's a question in my voice. It's timid. It would make me so happy. Don't say those words. You guys don't like, it would make me so happy. Don't put your emotional shit on your kids. Don't put your emotional reaction on your kids. I know it slips out sometimes, but just be mindful of that and watch that. 
you got a whole childhood to fix this. <laughs> but like, you know, you made me so sad. You made me so angry. Don't do that. I am angry. And this is your behavior. You can say that. I am angry. You threw something at me and I am angry. Not you're making me. That's the fix. If you're asking, okay. If you're asking, okay, several times. And like, again, a normal reaction might be like, Hey, bud, go put on your shoes. You know, you wait five minutes, not getting done. Hey, I said, go put on your shoes. You're in the playroom. What are you doing? Let's go. That's not begging. That's not cajoling. That is just a reminder. So you may have to tell your kid three times to put on their shoes, but it's not like one prompt after another. It's not like squeaky voice. It's not saying, okay. It's not asking permission. It's not begging. Yeah. What I have been doing, and it's been really miraculous. And this is sort of a new problem I'm, I'm seeing. So I'm kind of addressing it on the fly is there's a choice. Like parents will give maybe a choice of two shirts that you can wear and the child will get lost in that choice. And then they'll start saying, I don't want either. I want a different one. I want this. I want that. They can't decide. They decide. They change their mind. And this could be with what they want for lunch. This could be with anything. And so then the day is getting shot and there's a meltdown. So what we've been doing is making the choice go faster. So it's using a firm voice and it's been going, all right, it's this shirt or this shirt. One, two, three, which one? Or I choose which one or I choose the one, two, three gives them a lead up. And I am aware of one, two, three magic. It's a discipline book. I don't know if you guys know it, but this isn't the same concept, even though I am using one, two, three, it's just a way to count down. Now make a choice. So it gives them a little second to make a choice. If they can't make the choice, you make it for them. And it's actually been working really well with everybody because it's giving the kid a parameter to work with. So you're not coaxing, you're not begging, you're not even having to remind. It's this or I do it for you. So you can put on your shoes by yourself or I can put them on for you. One, two, three, choose. What is it? And, you know, in a lot of cases, that's an easy fix because they usually want you to put on the shoes, which again brings up another issue which is when to help your kid and when not to help your kid. This is a pandemic toddler problem. And just by the way, Jen and I are designing a totally cool interactive course. We're interviewing a ton of experts about pandemic toddlers and opening that fucking can of worms that nobody else wants to touch. I can't even stand it. Like doctors are like, your kid's behind. Well, no shit, Sherlock. So is the whole world. These kids were in lockdown. They learned how to speak with the population in masks. Like, I don't get it whatever. It's irritating, but transitions are very, very hard. And so what's happening is tasks that kids could have done by themselves, you know, maybe pre pandemic, now they need more help with. And sometimes it's a skill question and sometimes it's a need question. And sometimes it's just a manipulation. So this is a tricky one because you just kind of have to suss it out a little bit. And I know morning times, that is the hardest part. Almost every family I work with, morning times are the worst, particularly if both parents work outside the home and the child sleeps a little later and it's go, 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 go. It is really worth it. If this is your situation, you must get up earlier. You just have to. And I know you love your sleep. I love my sleep, but you have to get up earlier so that you're prepared. It's always a good idea for the parents to sit, have a cup of coffee, get themselves ready for the day. Then the kid wakes up and then you're ready to hit the day. Food could be prepared the night before. Outfits could be picked out the night before. So if you're dealing with that clusterfuck, those are some things. But a lot of times what's happening now is that the kids are just melting down. They need help. And so you have to gauge it. At this age, they generally speaking want to do for themselves. So if you're finding that your kid is being helpless across the board, doesn't want to do anything. I worked with somebody recently whose four and a half year old still needed to be fed 
wouldn't pick up a silverware. You're running into trouble there, guys. Like sometimes you have to force these issues. So if your kid is being helpless and it's like in every area and you think it's just, okay, but you have to do some things for yourself, which is appropriate, by the way then you have to sort of force this issue. But if your kid generally wants to do things by themselves and they're having a shit morning and they're like falling out because you won't help them put on their shoes, put on the shoes. It's okay. Like you don't have to be a hard ass with all this independence. It's weird. I have both ends of the spectrum. I have parents who are like total hard ass. Kids got to do everything. And then I have parents who are like doing literally everything for the child and then like wondering why they won't self-initiate for the potty. (laughs) So meet that spectrum in the middle. and. Gauge it. Like I said, I, oh, I think I just posted it on Instagram, but I did a post about, I call it stop, drop, and roll. And Pascal, or maybe I've talked about it here. I'm starting to lose track, man. <laughs> stop, drop, and roll. I went in, Pascal was like three and a half. He was in preschool and, you know, whatever. He woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Like I should have known right from the get go. The eggs were wrong. The toothbrush felt funny. The toothpaste didn't taste good. The same toothpaste we used for years everything, just grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. And then, you know, went into his room and he was having a hard time getting dressed. And of course I went to go lay into him, you know, I was like about to do the mom speech. And I just looked at his little face and he was grumpy. He just, he was having a shit day. And I was like, oh man, sat down on the floor with him. We cuddled, we rolled around. We were late for school. I was late for work, but it was worth it. He needed a hug. He needed help. You know, those days, I don't know, for me, it's like three days before the period. It's those like, ah, the shirt won't go on right. The shoes won't tie. I snag my sweater on the doorknob. It's like everything goes wrong. He was having one of those days. So know that that happens too. And you can stop, drop and roll and you can help them. You know, as big as I am about autonomy and independence and they can, they're so much more capable. They're also just little and sometimes they need help. So make sure you're fluid in that boundary because you don't have to beg. You don't have to, you don't have to conjole. You don't have to coax, but sometimes you do just need to drop to the floor and like say, fuck it. Let's just cuddle. Let's wrestle. Let's do something to move this energy. All right, you guys, as always, I appreciate you. I appreciate your patronage and rock on. Okay, bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamiegowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.